0: And from my observation, you have some of the finest, most qualified and dedicated registered nurses that anyone would ever want to have right here at St. Joe's. And you need to recruit new people coming in that want to stay here long term and learn from these experienced nurses so they can carry on that legacy of the highest level of patient care uh, here in the valley. And... um, And I would hope that the hospital would realize that and make movement in order to achieve those goals.
1: We're back to work this week with the final installment of our updates on the St. Joe's Union and their negotiations with their employer, LifePoint. So far in the series, we've touched briefly on the history of the hospital learned about the origins of the union being formed, in addition to hearing the perspectives of nurses involved in the bargaining efforts. Today, we shift gears and learn how the Teamsters Union is helping St. Joe's nurses achieve their goals of a fair contract and a safer workplace. Stay tuned to hear from Teamsters Val Hallstrom and Larry Crutch, who are both working on behalf of our nurses at St. Joe's, and here are their perspectives on how negotiations are going and how you, as a community member, can aid in the mission of a fair contract at the hospital.
2: Uh, hello, Larry. Hello, Val. Uh, thank you guys for coming in and talking with us. I'm really excited to learn more about the Teamsters and what you guys are doing for St. Joe's Nursing and then just the greater community in general. Thanks for coming in.
3: Thanks for having us.
0: Happy to be here.
2: Yeah. So you guys just came in talking. Like uh, you had it down, and and I wish I was recording some of that, but we'll we'll kind of go over the basics, I guess. Why don't we start with uh, either one of you. Why don't you tell us how you got started in the Teamsters and kind of what your position is?
0: Okay. um, After I got out of the the Navy, um, I was a home builder in Spokane, and in 79, the market died, and my brother, who was a Teamster driver, said, Hey, uh, sign up on the out-of-work list, and uh, they'll find you a job until you find something to do. So I was uh, 12 years on a three-week call, became a shop start, and never looked back. That's how I got my start in the Teamsters. Larry? Well, I got my start with, uh,
3: in the warehousing side of it. Uh, I went to work for a company called S.E. Rykoff who is now U.S. Food Service. Uh, After a few years, I moved on to Food Services of America, spent uh, 21 years with them, and uh, did a number of things from warehousing to truck driving. And in that, I was a uh, shop steward involved in uh, many of the negotiations. And uh, my business agent at the Teamsters was retiring, and they had contacted me. And uh, I've been at it for, I guess, about 10 years now in the in the Teamsters office themselves.
1: And what areas do you guys represent currently?
0: Well, um, nationally, the Teamsters are the most diversified union in the nation. You name an industry, we represent them. Uh, From airline pilots, to doctors, to nurses, to attorneys, to warehouse workers, truck drivers, uh, cemetery workers, construction workers, bakery, freight, grocery. You name an industry, we represent them. In fact, if you've ever been to Disneyland, Mickey Mouse is a teamster. So uh, you name an industry, we represent them. In Here in the Inland Empire, we have over 100 contracts, uh, both in public and private private business. Um, like I said, we represent prosecuting attorneys, defense attorneys, jail, jail. Uh, uh, jail workers jailers um, uh, clerks courthouse workers uh, sheriffs police um, firemen uh, bus drivers uh, and the traditional things that you think are teamsters truck drivers and warehousemen. men um, all of our workers are considered essential workers and we're our hats off to them for doing a great job during this medical crisis and sacrificing the hours that they work and the time away from their family to provide the, the groceries, the, the bakery, the produce, everything that we consume is brought on a truck and it's probably delivered by a Teamster. So um, our hats off to our members who are working so hard as essential workers.
2: And you guys are part of the, the local 690. I can see that on your shirt there.
0: Yes. So and
2: where does that region cover?
3: Well, uh, we we have two jurisdictions. We have a a general jurisdiction and a construction jurisdiction. So our general jurisdiction is mainly eastern Washington and northern Idaho from Riggins north. Um, But we have a construction jurisdiction that is uh, the eastern side of Washington from Snoqualmie Pass, east all the way to the Montana border from Canada, uh, south down to Riggins. So it's a a pretty wide area.
1: Cool. And you mentioned... uh you know, there's obviously a lot of people that you represent as as the Teamsters, but here locally, there's there's even a few organizations and and people that you represent, right?
0: Yeah, uh, many uh, local companies you're familiar with, uh, the drivers and and sorters at UPS, uh, Franz Bakery, uh, Poe Asphalt, um, Larry. You can name some others too. Oh yeah, we have the Franz Bakery, Bimbo Bakery,
3: Alsco Linen. Oxark, U.S. Food Service, Cisco Food Service, URM, Metagold Dairy, Metagold Dairy. Um, yeah, there's. A, a, we represent a number of people in the Lewiston community already.
1: Very cool. So, so how how did St. Joe's come into play for you guys? How how did that conversation start?
0: Well, I received a call from Joe, <laughs> and. Uh, asking questions on how to organize, and I said, okay, uh, we'd be happy to help you, but why do you want to organize? And he said, well, we're very concerned about uh, what's going on in our hospital. We're losing many, many experienced nurses, uh, uh, a vast wealth of knowledge and and experience. Uh, The new company is uh, making some changes that uh, we're very concerned about. Uh, that'll impact the community. Our our main focus is on patient care and safety. And uh, we feel that having a Teamster contract or having a union contract would help us in our endeavors to uh, keep the highest level of care in the community so we can serve our uh, family and friends and our neighbors at the hospital. And we're looking for a way to do that and asked me, how do we organize? So I explained our process I explained that if you're expecting uh, me or my staff to organize for you, you, you're gonna fail. The only way to do it is to embrace the idea that I'm forming a union in my workplace. And if that's what you wanna do, we can help you do that. But the commitment has to be from you and your coworkers and be more than happy to set up some meetings and explain how that process works. And if, if we uh, gather the support to go forward, we'll help you do that. So we had those meetings. We uh, eventually came to um, what we call a majority support of the nurses. That's when we filed for an election with the National Labor Relations Board. We won that election, which gave us the right to represent the nurses exclusively uh, uh, regarding con- working conditions and pay and benefits. And that's how we won. We engaged in bargaining. Larry, I had some, um, some personal problems where I wasn't able to be the lead negotiator in this like I had planned, and Larry stepped forward and said, I'll take on that role and be the lead, and Larry's been leading the charge on, on the uh, negotiations ever since.
1: And how have those negotiations been going so far? Um, and in particular, how have they been going compared to, let's say, some of your other negotiations you have here in the Valley?
3: Slow. Um, I You know, I could use an example with uh, Meadowgold. The Meadowgold drivers here in Lewiston organized uh, almost the exact same time that uh, uh, the nurses did. And we entered into negotiations with Meadowgold. Uh, we had a contract with them, I think, within about four months. So they've they've had their contract for a year, year and a half now. And, uh, we've been in bargaining with the hospital for almost two years now. So,
2: well, four months, that seems kind of quick though, right? I mean, I, did somebody, is that normal? Cause or doesn't it last maybe a year, year and a half typically?
3: T- typically, it depends on, on how much the employer doesn't want a contract. Oh, okay, uh, you know, metal gold, uh, is 90% union. Uh, so they're almost wall to wall union. Uh, they didn't run from it. They, didn't, they uh, embraced it. They have contracts all over the country. Uh, we had a contract with them in Boise, uh, and we patterned it mostly after that contract. And the employer didn't fight it. Uh, you know, we we really tried that same tactic here with uh, LifePoint. Uh, they have hospitals in this. I'll call it this area, the Northwest. Um, they have. Uh, Capital Medical over in Olympia. They have uh, another one in uh, the Tri-Cities area. Trios. Trios. Uh, we use a lot of language and tried to base that as a as a format. Uh, and the employer, the hospital, is just at this point not interested in formatting off of another hospital. It's like they want to do this thing from scratch, and uh, uh, it's
0: the progress has been very very slow in comparison to normal. We've even tried to uh, use existing policies and procedures that have been working uh, since they took over, and they want to modify and change those. And in our opinion, uh, many of those modifications are concessionary, um, which aren't to anyone's advantage. And um, it it can be frustrating at times, but it's the process. We're used to it. We know how to deal with that.
2: Yeah, I think... One of the Joes uh, last time mentioned that you guys presented them with something in their own language and they said, oh, I don't know about that.
3: Well, yeah, the, that's what I'm kind of referring to yeah. with the capital contracts. You know, they'll they'll tell us what their issue is and we, you know, we try to meet, you know, they give us the target and then we try to meet the target. And, uh, you know, utilizing some of the language they've bargained in their own contracts in other areas that really should meet the need of what they're after. Uh, and they'll, they'll refuse it. And we'll even ask them, Hey, what, this is your language. It's, it's, is it working in these other areas? And they say, well, yeah, it's working, but it's just, we're just not going to have it here.
2: So, okay. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, so even though it's been what, 18 months now or so, how long uh, at it least been? that
3: we started in, in, uh, we won the election in April of 19 uh, the employer kind of stalled us out. Didn't give us any dates until July of '19. We met one day in July of '19, and then they couldn't meet with us again until September. So, um, yeah. So part part of this is though it's it's been a long time, but there's been many interruptions in between. We've uh, we had that gap, you know, uh, and then. Uh, COVID came along, uh, and there was a joint commission came in, and they canceled for that. Uh, the, the COVID put us off for three months. Yeah. Uh, so we have had delays. You know, uh, to be honest, we've probably been at this solidly for a year. Yeah. But even so,
2: with COVID and everything, it seems like – so wh- where do you think you're at in the, in the process? Are you an- anywhere near – coming to terms with stuff? Or I mean, you said it's slow. So even though it's only been a year that you've been going at it, how long do you think this is going to last?
3: Well, it depends on on if the employer wants to continue with this, I'll call it a game. You know, they they say they're bargaining in good faith. And by law, they are. Uh, The legal definition of bargaining is just meeting and discussing the issues. Neither party has to make any movement. As long as we meet and are actively discussing the issues, we're bargaining in good faith. So um, how long are they willing to do that? I don't know. Uh, we're in it for the long haul. Uh, we feel uh, that it, it looks like they're trying to stall out, um, but uh, maybe they just like slow progress. I don't know. But we're here for the long haul.
1: So do you feel like as the community starts to support um, the efforts of the nurses and, and uh you know, becomes more familiar with what the Teamsters do, will that put more pressure on the hospital to to speed things along, or do you think they'll just continue to drag their feet regardless?
3: I'm hopeful that some public pressure will uh, speed things up. Uh, This hospital is not the only game in town. Uh, There's Tri-State right across the river, and, you know, if folks in the community uh, want to support the nurses and get fed up with them uh, not getting a deal, they may move their business elsewhere. Uh, Pullman and Moscow are just up up the hill, uh, so I I would hope that some public pressure was going to uh, uh, make a difference and and uh, change their their behavior at the table.
2: So speaking of public pressure, there is a picket um, Saturday the fourteenth. Hopefully, I'll have it out at least by Saturday morning before the picket. <laughs> um, if I work hard, I could have it out tomorrow afternoon, um, but. Definitely going to the picket is one way to show public support. Taking your business elsewhere is maybe hard, but that's one way. What are some other ways that that people not working at St. Joe's can show support for the nurses?
3: Well, I think really um, just expressing their concern to the hospital. Uh, Call uh, Tim Trottier, the CEO, uh, or their hired gun that's an attorney from uh, Maryland, uh, Glenn Bunting, and tell them you know we we don't support you treating our nurses this way uh, we want you to stick up for our community and and make it a safe
0: place um, editorials in the paper are are always good it's a it's a way to gauge community support um, we have the support of the labor council here which is a a, a strong force in the valley and all of the union members uh, that are part of that labor council support us and they know what's at stake and they know they have options uh with regards to health care and um they may exercise those options it'll be their choice of course right right
3: i would kind of like to just jump in on the picket thing and just yeah. just to inform the the public not everybody may know what a p- picket is so this is an informational picket so there's no work stoppage here all of the nurses that are involved are doing so on their own time uh, there's, there's no disruption of service at the hospital. We're not blocking any entrances or access to the hospital. Uh, this is really just a way for the community and the employees to get out and show the, show the, uh, hospital that, uh, we mean business and we want them to respect us and come to the table and make some movement and, uh, let's get a deal done.
1: Very cool. Yeah. I hope, uh, I hope that not only just the the Valley comes out to support, but also these businesses that are represented by the Teamsters as well. I hope they come out and show support um, for everything that you guys do for them, too. Um, I had a question
0: again. Well, I, I know those business, uh, our members in those businesses are very supportive, and they all have good Teamster health and welfare plans. And our members are very aware that they have options with regards to their family's medical care. And uh, even though we're... Um, not as big as the labor council, with with regards to the amount of health and welfare money that we spend in the community, um, it is a significant piece that that our members choose to utilize St. Joe's as opposed to something else.
1: Right, right, and and like we've discussed so many times, um, in our discussions about these uh, negotiations, St. Joe's is so important to the community here. I mean, it's it's vital. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely important to recognize the, the value there. Um, I had a question about, uh, just unions in general and hospitals in our area. Is that, is that uncommon or is there other hospitals in
0: our area that are represented? Yeah, I, uh, uh early on in my career as a business agent, uh, I got a call, um, similar to the one I received from Joe from the nurses at Bonner General in Sandpoint. And uh, we did the same process, engaged them uh, in educating on how to form a union in their workplace. We were 18 months in organizing and 18 months getting a first agreement. And those nurses were committed. They wanted an agreement. They had tremendous community support, um, many letters to the editor, many petitions being sent to the CEO uh, telling telling them how much they love and support the nurses and respect the work that they do for the community. And we were eventually able to get a good contract. Uh, The first year or so was a little rocky. They'd never worked under a contract before the administration. It took a while to learn. There was a little resistance still, but today we have a great working relationship. And I truly believe unions work in partnership with the employers to um, make things better uh, a better workplace. They have a, a definite set of work rules. You know, when do you come to work? What do you do? How do you get paid? How do you advance? How do you, how do you bring problems and solutions forward to the employer to make a better, more viable workplace? And I believe we've uh, created that with the cooperation of management there. And I think we have a great relationship and a good partnership with that hospital. And I believe most employers who are initially resistant to having a union contract eventually see the benefit to them, especially from an HR point of view, right? Um, you have these work rules, you, there's no, there's very few gray areas for HR to go. I wonder what we do now in this situation. Well, there's, there's processes in there. There's processes for education, for advancement, definite processes, uh, protecting the employer as far as the discipline goes. And the, the employees working under an agreement know what's expected of them day to day. And they live up to that contract. It's a high standard. And uh, the employer uh, respects the workers for working to that high standard. So I think it's a benefit for both the employer and the employee. And I believe most employers recognize over time that having a contract is a great advantage to them and their employees.
1: Well, and just uh, kind of jumping onto that point too, are you talking about this relationship between employer and union? Um, it seems as though LifePoint point as an operation, an outfit is really concerned with efficiency and productivity. Uh, matter of fact, I had a gentleman in today into, the, into my fly shop that was asking about the area and uh, what it was like at St. Joe's. And um, he, he had mentioned that he was applying for a position there for a PA position. And he said something that they talked about continuously throughout the course of his interview was uh, efficiency and meeting standards and efficiency. Do you think that there's anything with this uh, bargaining or like if you were to be able to get a contractor that would interfere with efficiency in any way?
3: I'll take that if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I, I do think that uh, uh, LifePoint as an organization, is a Fortune 500 company, uh, they're in the business of making money. And you take a hospital that is not-for-profit and you turn it into a for-profit machine, uh, efficiency and cutbacks and, you know, the, the goal is to wring out as much profit as you can. And we're seeing that already. I think if you watch the newspaper, uh, just not uh, last summer, uh, they came out with an article that they took all of their billing services and moved it back to Pennsylvania. and They said that there would be a loss of about 20 jobs here in Lewiston and that the hospital would be, be- a- better able to utilize its resources to serve its patients. I'm not sure how they can do that with 20 households that are out of a job, um, but it-, it is going to probably increase the profits for the hospital. Uh, chances are as a community member, Lewiston is a small enough community that when you call with a billing question or an issue, you're going to get somebody on the other line that, you know, or know somebody that, you know, uh, local people are more sympathetic to local people. And if there's any way they can cut you a break, they're going to do that. Uh, when you call somebody in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, to put it bluntly, they could give two shits who you are or where you live. Uh, this is what you got and it is what it is. So. Um, uh, those kinds of things. uh, They've outsourced the cafeteria, I think housekeeping. uh, This stuff is going to other companies. And it's, uh, I believe with every move, the hospital makes more money and the employees are going to make less. So uh, yeah, back to your original question, are we in the way? Yes, we are in the way of them making as much profit as they can on these nurses. And that's a reason that they would not want to contract.
1: But again, it's to the benefit of the nurses and the quality of care that they're going to be able to give and then also how that plays out for people coming in to seek help, right?
3: Yes. Yeah. The more you cut and the more, you know, if, if they were able to get us to just stand aside and they could have their way with the nurses and make whatever cuts, uh, they certainly would. And that's going to uh, definitely directly impact patient care. Uh, we've seen that. You know, that was one of the reasons, that main reasons, when we were organizing, that every nurse I spoke to said, uh, uh, patient care ratios is is number one. It's it's important. And to this point in bargaining, uh, the hospital will not uh, give us any counterproposal on staffing ratios or staffing levels. They just won't do it. Uh, we've we've come at it from a hundred different ways and said, let's at least have a target. Uh, there's no penalty or no foul if you don't hit the target, but at least we have a target. Nope, we won't even agree to have a target. So uh, it, it's clear to us that uh, they they want all the control and want to be able to uh, do whatever they need to do to make their profits, maximize their profits, and I, I don't believe that they have this community's uh, best interest at heart. Yeah.
2: So you guys, the Teamsters, they are you're supporting the St. Joe's nurses, you're sitting down in contracts um, or negotiations I mean and so all the all the nurses they are covered under the under the Teamsters is that the
0: right way to put it? Well um, where we represent represent all all the registered nurses at St. Joe's.
2: So are you guys at the moment collecting dues or or how does that work? Absolutely
0: not. Our Our organization says uh, nobody pays any dues uh, during bargaining or anything like that. Uh, Our members support our efforts to organize the unorganized and make make people's lives better and, and uplift the middle class. So our members uh, pay our salaries to come down here to bargain for as long as it takes to get these nurses a contract. And then in Idaho, being a right-to-work state, once we have a contract in place, it'll be the nurse's choice whether or not to join the union or not. Um, they... Whether they join or not, they receive all the benefits of the contract, including uh, representation, it, uh, wage, wage increases, bidding rights for changing jobs, everything. So that's all right-to-work means is you have the right not to join the union, but enjoying all the benefits that union contracts give you.
2: Yeah, that's that seems pretty cool that you guys, you wait until bargaining's done and even then if, if an individual doesn't want to join they don't have to and, and that's that's pretty cool hey do you want to know how you can get the Old Spiral podcast uninterrupted check out our new Patreon account from now on you can get the same show you know and love without being interrupted by commercials we would really appreciate the support and if you would head to patreon.com slash old spiral podcast now back to the show So what are what are the negotiations like? Like you you have an idea in mind like you said you've got contracts with you've done with other hospitals. And so you get a hold of the hospital and then if you do meet what 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 are those negotiations like? Do you meet just you two with a couple people or
0: Well, what we do is is first we meet with the nurses and we ask them what would you like to see in a contract or what would you like to see changed about uh, how you do your work today. So we take that proposal meeting, put it in a, in a document, and then, uh, we set dates with the employer to meet. Uh, we always, uh, want committee members. We want the nurses at the table. We're not nurses. We don't know what nurses do. All I know is if I go to a hospital, a nurse will save my life. That's all I need to know, right? Um, But we need uh, committee members uh, at the table to keep us straight when we're bargaining on their behalf and to keep the employer straight if they try to, you know, throw, throw some BS at us. Like, well, we do it this way. You know, we got the committee members saying, no, we don't. We do it this way. So we need that check and balance there. And nobody knows their job better than the nurses. That's why we insist upon having committee members. So we set the dates. We meet. And Larry is our lead negotiator, uh, puts out the proposals and makes the arguments with the employer's uh, lead negotiator. Yeah, it's, it's really a back and forth. There's, we have a, a bargaining
3: committee, which Val said is, is other RNs, and uh, we've lim- made a limit to our committee can't be any larger than 12. And uh, we've, we've tried to keep that number up close to that uh, so that we have a good representation at the table. Uh, you know, we go back and forth with the employer. We we talk about what the issue is. We ask the employer, you know, what do you need out of this? We, we listen and try to gain our direction from what they say. And, uh, you know, we know the legal side of it. The nurses know what they do in their work. They can explain that to us. We know the legal side of it. And, uh, you know, we try to craft proposals that get the nurses what they need and also hit the target that the employer has put out there for us. So in that exchange, uh, generally with most negotiations, there's some give and take, but somewhere in the middle is where the deal lies. And, uh, in this case, uh, there just doesn't seem to be, seem to be at this point any middle where the deal lies. So, uh, we're, we're slowly and, and, you know, patiently working towards that end.
1: So do you feel like at this point, um, the morale is still really high for those that are on, on your side and, and those nurses at St. Joe's?
3: Yeah, I, I think, Uh, uh, morale so uh, you know that morale is pretty tough because they're they're seeing more and more cuts they're seeing uh more and more people leaving more and more rns leaving the hospital Uh, you know an rn's an rn you know they know what they're doing but you can't replace longevity uh no different than in my job or val's job uh you can't bring a business agent in and in the first year have them know everything, even though you might be able to give them some books and whatnot. uh, There's just no substitute for real world experience. And I think that's what the RNs have have said that we're losing here is, is longevity and experience. And uh, it's their goal to get that back and, you know, recruit and retain people. So um, I I do think that uh, the nurses that uh, are here are, I don't know if morale is great because they're they're frustrated with what's going on at the hospital, but they are uh, increasingly having less and less patients for the hospital. And that's going to erupt into something, uh, you know. Hence, we'll see what the turnout is at the uh, informational picket. Uh, if we can't get anywhere in the future, does that turn into some kind of work stoppage or something else, it, it very well could. So uh, I believe that uh, uh, pressure is building amongst the nurses, and at some point, it's going to come to a head.
2: Yeah, well, and I know at least in in my union contract, I, you don't have one set up yet, but stoppages are kind of written in. Is there there won't be any stoppages, but that's not until you actually have a contract, so right? You still have that card in your deck.
3: Yep, that's the beauty of a labor contract. It's labor peace. So if we have a three year contract, both parties know that number one, the hospital knows that no matter what goes on the nurses can be disgruntled and upset but they wait till their next agreement opens to express that concern they have labor peace and on the flip side we know that uh, there's no lockout that the we're not going to show up someday and the hospital is going to lock us out so it's labor peace for both sides and uh, that's where we would like to get to and i think the hospital would at some point too right
1: so at this point you know obviously like you said you guys are in it for the long haul so you're going to take as long as you need to to get this job done. But they've also hired out somebody that's from Maryland that's hired gun to come and represent their side of things. So they're obviously wasting a lot of their own resources and time and energy. How long do you think that they'll last at this before they before they give up? I would think, you know, you guys aren't the new kids on the block. You said As you said, the Teamsters are huge. They're, they're the only union that I know of by name. I wouldn't be able to name another one so you guys aren't like a fly by night.
3: Yeah, we're 1.4 million members. We're we're a large organization. Uh, how much will a Fortune 500 company spend? I I you know, that kind of money is it's about impossible to tell. I think uh, at the end of the day, they didn't buy this hospital to lose money and the public will will help in that. Uh, if if they feel that the public support isn't there and they're losing uh uh, business left and right, and it's because of this organi- organizing and negotiations, um, uh, that may be enough to tip the scale, I don't know. But uh, that's where we do need help from the community and the nurses. If you know we get to the boiling point, uh, we hope the community stands behind us and the nurses stand up for what's right, and uh, it sends the message, whatever it takes to uh, get the company to the table and get a deal done.
2: Yeah. Well, we talked about this a little bit last time, but I'd love to get your your guys's opinions on uh, union busters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's uh, it's probably one of the fastest growing industries in the country, and uh, and unfortunately, uh, many union busters are uh, disgruntled ex union members. Right, um, so. They have an axe to, axe to grind and they get paid a, probably a lot more money than they were paid as a union member to come in and uh, act as so-called consultants, union busters, whatever you want to uh, call them, to convince people that it's not a good idea to join the union. In fact, there's a book out there called Confessions of a Union Buster that's very interesting and uh, if any of your listeners are interested, they should read that book. Uh, this guy was one of the uh, best union busters in the country. And after a while, he had a change of heart and finally realized I'm destroying people's lives. So he wrote a book on what he did as a union buster. And he said, frankly, I didn't care about anybody. You were just a number with a dollar sign on it. I would do anything and everything that I had to do to get that person to vote no. I would research their background, their history, find out their vulnerabilities. For instance, maybe I find a a young guy that just bought a house and had a new baby that's sick. I would work on him and say, look, man, you're at the bottom of the seniority list. You can't afford to go union because there'll be cutbacks. You'll be the first to go. You just bought that house, that car. Your baby's sick. You need insurance. You better vote no on this deal. Or um, they would find a pro-union guy and spread the rumor that he um, keyed the car of an anti-union guy to to entice them to fight where they could fire both of them. Uh, in one in one point, he said, "I would break into a anti or a pro union guy's car, and place uh, valuable objects uh, that the company owned in their car. Walk them out to the car with management. Find the uh, find those objects after work and give them a choice: either voluntarily resign or recall in the police. or We're going to charge you with a felony." He says, "I didn't care what I had to do because I got paid a bonus on top of my." Uh, on top of my retainer for every no vote that i got when it came time to vote for the union but i know i've destroyed families caused divorces and ruined people's lives and he wrote this book it's very interesting uh on on the tactics that were used uh if anybody's interested in looking that one up i'd kind of jump
3: in on that too we whenever we're organizing a unit we kind of tell them uh It's interesting that the union busters that are here to tell you that you don't need a contract have a contract with the employer uh, to bust you. So uh, it's interesting that they need a contract, but you don't. Uh, And that isn't just hearsay or rumor. So the government says that any anti-union efforts have to be recorded, and those are in an LM20 report uh, that's filed with the government. So we get a copy of the actual contract. That uh, that is signed between the employer and the, the union buster. So uh, it's, it's just interesting that uh, the union buster needs his own contract but to convince you that you don't need one. So anyway.
1: Well, not only that, but, but I mean there, contracts aren't unique in general to the hospitals anyways. They have contracts all over the board with people that they buy supplies from, you know, all kinds doctors. of things. The doctors. The
0: doctors. <laughs> right. Well, so, the, the, you're exactly right. The hospital signs contracts for e- almost every piece of their business, from, from supply to uh, other, other workers like, like doctors. Um, and they have contracts with the, with the power company to get electricity, right? So they sign contracts all the time to do business, and they wouldn't survive without those agreements. But yet they uh, fight tooth and nail to prevent their workers— the people that make them the money and provide the community services to their friends and neighbors from having a contract it doesn't make sense
2: no that's crazy
0: yeah so and there's big money in the union busting so yeah
3: um, money. there you know a lot of these it's it's uh, i think it's about $4,000 a day for a union buster to come in and they're they're typically here for the what we call the 30 days of hell the from the time you uh, we've nicknamed it that. From the time you file for the le- election to when you actually get the election is about thirty days, and in that time, your employer and the union buster can have captive audience meetings and feed you full of all kinds of stuff. We we refer to it as the thirty days of hell. So, in that thirty days, uh, if you're making four grand a, a day, uh, that's that's some pretty good.
2: Yeah, it change. is, and so. we're, we're not saying that the consultant, as you called him from a uh, life point, has been planting things in people's cars. We're not making any accusations like that. No. Uh, but they are paying him an absurd amount of money to come try to dissuade people from joining the union,
0: which sh- uh, it, it shouldn't
2: it should be fine for
0: everybody in the end. It's funny. Many times the consulting fees that they pay to prevent uh, their workers from having a contract um, many times add up to less than what the workers are asking for over a year's time in in, say wage and benefit increases. So they'll spend tens of thousands of dollars to prevent their workers from making 50 cents an hour more.
2: (laughs) Wow. So what are a few of the things that you guys are trying to negotiate right now?
3: Well, I'll tell you today, it's funny. the last newspaper article that came out, the headline was the uh, hospital requests a federal mediator to intercede. Um, And my response to that in the newspaper was it's premature. Uh, The mediator actually reached out to us and to the hospital. And after speaking to both of us, the mediator agreed that uh, it was premature for her to come in at this point. So um, it it was just a headline. uh, And in today's negotiation, uh, we we packaged everything up into a one giant package proposal based upon some comments that the negotiator made from their side. And he kind of laughed and said, it's just crazy to put 20 or more open items into a package proposal. Uh, it's, these are things you do at the in the final strokes. And we laughed and said, yeah, uh, exactly. That's why we said we were way premature in needing a mediator. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, their request for a mediator is, you know, Part of its strategy on their point that they've jumped through all the hoops and now we're just done but uh, you know there's really so many things out there you know with 20 plus open items articles i mean there's many items in an article but you know some of them are you know the the top is uh, patient care ratios uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic with covid uh, we uh, propose some language supporting health and safety during a pandemic and uh, uh, they refuse to give us even a counter proposal on that in any form. Uh, a, a lot of just basic things. Um, really, every area that we have, uh, you know, we're operating under what's called the status quo. While we're in bargaining, the employer cannot take back anything that they currently enjoy. Um, every every proposal they have, given us represents a concession or a take back in some form uh so uh, you know it's just not normal bargaining um all of the issues that are out there the employer is asking to take things back um, so i'm trying to think what else that we have for yeah. example
0: one of the things that seems like a no-brainer to me was uh they wanted to reduce the the time the nurses went on break yeah uh, throughout the day. They've enjoyed 15-minute breaks twice a day um, forever, and they wanted to reduce it to 10. With the, um, uh, in our opinion, understaffing that's at the hospital, uh, I want my nurse to be rested when, when, they, um, when they care for me. I don't want them to be fatigued. I want them to take the breaks they need to be refreshed and sharp well, when they're giving me meds or, or if I code and I need need their help to save my life, I want a rested nurse there. But one of the concessions is they want to reduce those breaks uh, by five minutes. Instead of 15-minute breaks, give them 10-minute breaks. And how does that help a nurse recharge and refresh to give the highest quality of care possible? We don't understand those types of concessions.
2: Yeah. And a 15-minute break seems standard. I, I get two 15-minute breaks during my day. Mm-hmm. and is that a stalling tactic or what is that? Because that doesn't even seem like a big deal.
3: Uh, you know, their their reasoning for it was you've enjoyed 15-minute breaks uh, prior to this, but you were never guaranteed 15-minute breaks. Uh, now we're going to put it in a contract. We're only going to agree to 10 minutes because now they're guaranteed. So that that was their, their reasoning.
2: Um, okay.
3: Yeah. No, it, it's <laughs> the way negotiations have gone. So... Uh, but there are a couple things that I want to touch on still is uh, related to the pandemic. Uh, they're, they kind of go hand in hand, but uh, I mentioned these guys are operating on a status quo. When the whole COVID thing broke out and we had to cancel negotiations for about three months, uh, we reached out to the employer and said, hey, we don't know how long this pandemic's going to last. Um, we're operating under a status quo anyway. Uh, it doesn't, the future for the pandemic doesn't look good. Uh, why don't we agree to just ink everything we have? Uh, basically status quo, we'll just ink it in a contract and we'll make it for a year and basically extend their, what they have. And it'll be a contract. We'll go a year, year from now, we'll reconvene if the, if the COVID has gone away. They're not interested in that at all. Uh, and the reason being is once we ink it, they're guaranteed what they have. And the hospital at this point is not willing to get them, give them what they have. It's, It, it seems to me retaliatory uh, on the part of the hospital for them forming a union.
2: Well, it's so, unreasonable.
3: Sure it is. So then the other point I wanted to make is the hospital has told the nurses that uh, they can't give a pay raise uh, while we're in negotiations. Uh, some of these folks haven't had a, a real raise since uh, 2017. Uh, we have a wage matrix that the hospital had adopted that says, you know, if you're a 15-year nurse, you make this dollar amount. If you're an 18-year nurse, you make for steps from 1 to 30. Is that right, Joe? 1 to 29 are all laid out. And all we're asking is... Uh, while we're in negotiations, move everybody up the steps. Uh, we have Joe here tonight with us. It's kind of lurking in the background here, but he uh, he uh, is stuck at the 13-year level, and he's almost a 16-year nurse now. So he's been uh, he's been held back. And we've said, "Hey, let's let's uh, just adopt this matrix and get these folks some money uh, at, that they should have had, uh, and uh, you know, move forward." And the hospital is not interested in that, but when uh, management talks to the nurses, they, they come up with this thing that, well, we can't because we're
0: in bargaining. It's not legal for us to give, uh, give raises. And that's not true. We uh, informed the hospital early on that they we are, encouraged right? the hospital and would not oppose any kind of wage increase or benefit increase that they want to give. And uh, we, we satisfied our obligation to, uh, to agree to those things, and the hospital still won't do it. So what they're telling the nurses is bunk when they say they can't give raises during bargaining. We initially uh gave them the right to do that.
2: Why wouldn't why why would that ever be a bad thing? You know Well it's just so that they can have that to put pressure
1: on on the nurses to say, we don't want to be a part of this union because it's not helping me right now. I need to get my my raise now.
2: Yeah, well, sure, but I mean, like...
1: <laughs> it would be really short-sighted, I feel, of the nurses to, to say, well, if I don't do this right now, then I won't get my raise. Like like you're, you're saying, I can't get it because of this bargaining thing. But, I mean, ultimately that wouldn't be good for the. Well, yeah.
0: with experienced nurses leaving, at some point the hospital will have to realize that they have to do something to recruit and retain quality nurses. They're leaving for a variety of reasons. They don't like the changes here. They're uh, concerned for patient safety. There's as many individual reasons as there are individuals who left, but many of them leave because they can make more money and work in what they consider to be a safer environment in another hospital. And, um, that the hospital needs to realize that we have to retain the quality people we have. And from my observation, you have some of the finest, most qualified and dedicated registered nurses that anyone would ever want to have right here at St. Joe's. And you need to recruit new people coming in that wanna stay here long-term and learn from these experienced nurses so they can carry on that legacy of the highest level of patient care uh, here in the Valley. And, um, uh, and I would hope that the hospital would realize that and make movement in order to achieve those goals.
2: So they can, they could give raises this whole time. You guys never said anything about them not being able to give raises. Um, I know in the middle of a pandemic and might not be the easiest time to give raises. Do you guys know anything about how they, that they've been dealing with, with the pandemic and everything?
3: Well, I, I think with, Every business, uh, a majority of businesses, uh, uh, profits are down, uh, you know, the patient count is probably down, scheduled services, but uh, to offset that, uh, the government helped take care of them. They, in the CARES Act, I don't have the exact number, but it's somewhere in the range of 4.1 to 4.8 million dollars uh, that uh, LifePoint in Lewiston received. Uh, and. You know, that's to offset all of the impacts of of cares or of the of the virus from the CARES Act. So, um, I don't think it's out of the question to say that uh, a Fortune 500 company that received that kind of money in this one location uh, couldn't afford to. Uh, give a raise in the middle of a pandemic Uh, because
1: they don't have to allocate that money for any certain thing. I mean, it could be for raises, right?
3: As far as I know, that's my understanding that there were no strings attached. I could be wrong, but that's, that's my understanding is there's, it it can be spent as, as they see fit. So.
1: Okay. Well, and you know, this is all really useful information, you know, obviously here at the show and, and many of those in the Valley, and obviously those at the hospital really support your efforts and what you're doing, but what, what would you say to those community members and those folks at the hospital that aren't on board with you at this point? Why why do you think they should get on board?
0: Well, well, for people who, who don't understand um, what unions are about, we're not trying to uh, tell the company how to operate their business. Their job is to operate their business. Um, where unions came in and, and the importance of unions today is the same as it was in the in the teens, twenties, and thirties, when people were so frustrated with their work environment that they felt no other choice but to collectively band together to negotiate better wages and working conditions for them and their families. And what many non-union people don't understand is that union wages set the bar for even non-union workers. And why is that? Well, the non-union companies know that if they don't pay their workers um, close to what a union worker makes, the non-union worker may want to go union to get those uh, better wages and benefits. So um, we, as as union leaders, are happy to negotiate uh, better wages and benefits because we know eventually even the non-union worker benefits from them. Uh, We tell our uh, employee, or we tell our members, the the reason we're able to negotiate, uh, you know, maybe as much as fifteen to twenty percent more in wages and benefits is because your employer expects you to produce fifteen to twenty percent more. And the day you choose not to is the day they can start uh, getting rid of you because there's somebody else out there who will want to work and make those higher wages and benefits. So I really believe. That the union contract uh, makes a better worker, makes a more efficient worker, helps make the company more profitable than um, the non-union worker. And I'm sure there are many good non-union employers, but I'm just saying in general, um, what what we're able to do with the support of our membership uh, helps the non-union workers raise their standard of living and help provide a better living for, them, for their families as well. So I'd
3: probably piggyback on that really the the message to someone that's uh, not on board with our message at this point um uh at the uh i don't know did tim post that on the saint joe's nurses site uh, that...
2: oh yeah again for everybody that's community for patients over profits on facebook
3: so there was a, a posting on there and i i i won't I can't verify it, but it said that the hospital had a C rating and that with a C rating that there's eight, it was at 88% more likely to... I
2: did. I read that post. And, and again, I think we wanted to mention that it was from the time that St. Joe's went from not-for-profit to for-profit, and that could have been any step along the way. But um, just in general, from an A rating to a C rating for hospitals, there's 88% Um, More likely to have accidental deaths, and then from a B to a C, you're an additional 50% likely for accidental
3: deaths. So, based, you know, armed with that information, whether you like unions, don't like unions, support them, got, you know, don't have any use for us, I can tell you in this campaign, the number one thing that these folks are fighting for is patient care ratios and safety. And that's public safety. So whether you uh, support them as a union or not, these are these RNs are the only people in this community fighting for your safety uh, in, in the hospital. Uh, the hospital is not, uh, in a public sense anyway, because they will not even give us a counterproposal on patient care ratios, won't give us a target uh... these these folks are are looking out for the community and if if you can not support us in any other way uh... that that i think is what brings you on yeah. uh... yeah the uh, one of the other things that they did that we have a, an outstanding charge on right now with the national labor relations board is the elimination of the nighttime pharmacy uh... now the RNs are given the task of having to mix those prescriptions at night. Uh, that's not not that they can't do it, but it's not their job. And you want to talk about safety? Um, a pharmacist goes to school to do that job, and it's it's their specialty. And to ask put one more task on nurses that are already short staffed, uh, it just speaks to safety. And that's it's what these folks represent. And we would ask that uh, you know whether you agree with the union or disagree. Uh, that you would support these nurses uh, in their fight to make the community and the hospital a safer place for the community.
1: Yeah, that all sounds great to me and and very, very reasonable, I would think, for uh, anybody listening. Um, I think that is kind of the questions that I had. Brian, did you have anything else? And if not, I'd like to leave it open to you gentlemen to Talk about anything else that you'd like to.
3: I think we'd be smart to cut it off here.
1: Yeah, that and... was a great note. <laughs> well, well, let's let's uh, give folks again another reminder about the picket, when it is, uh, what you can expect, all that.
3: So that'll be Saturday, the November fourteenth, and we will assemble in Pioneer Park around ten thirty, ten forty-five. Uh, give some instructions. Uh, At 11 o'clock, we'll march over to the hospital on the west side, on the public sidewalk. Um, We will not be uh, chanting, bullhorning, anything. We do not want to interfere with patient care or anything of that sort.
2: It is a hospital zone.
3: Yeah. So uh, we're just going to be a visual force out there, and we ask the community to come out and support us and join in. Uh, We have hundreds of signs if they'd like to carry one and uh, just – Get some info and just show their support. We'd appreciate it if they showed up.
2: Yeah, please come to the picket. I'll be there. Um, and then I just wanted to lay it out, everybody, for more information, uh, go to Community for Patients Over Profits on Facebook <clears throat> or their website, uh, www.stjoesnurses.org.
1: And, of course, that's all going to be with social distancing in mind and masks and all the proper safety precautions in order to keep everybody safe and healthy.
3: Yes. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, thank you uh, both for coming in and, and sharing this and kind of illuminating us on on Teamsters and unions. And and before I forget, we've said it before, but Lewiston was the first uh, place that Idaho ever formed a union. It was the Bricklayers Union in the early 1900s, and they established an eight-hour workday and a minimum wage. So Nice.
0: Well, yeah. Thanks for having us. You bet. Appreciate thank the you. opportunity.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for listening.
2: This episode of the show is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much to all of you for supporting the show. If you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to patreon.com slash podcast. That's going to do it for this week, but the shows are not over. Get caught up on the backlog of episodes if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.